You're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Episode 5 starts now. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. I am Justin Connors, and we have uh, such a great guest with us today. Um, I'm going to send it over here to Jamie. Jamie, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah, I could not be more thrilled. Um, tonight we have a great guest in Greg Weissman, uh, the writer and producer, primarily known for his work in comic books and animation. Um, he was the creator of Gargoyles. Uh, he's been the producer on The Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice. Um, he was the executive producer on the first season of Star Wars Rebels. Uh, he's the author of two novels in the Reign of the Ghost series. He's currently working on a third. Um, and he's now brought the first novel, Reign of the Ghost, to Kickstarter uh, to produce a fully realized audio dramatization um, with a full cast and, and sound effects and music and a full score. Um, and it just looks fantastic. Um, so we've got him on the show here tonight, and we're gonna we're just gonna chat. It's gonna be a good time. Yeah, and uh, we have so many questions for Greg tonight. So I think I'm just gonna get right into it. All right. So we we're uh, looking at your Kickstarter, and uh, we see that you're gonna be turning your book Reign of Ghosts into an audio play, uh, so that people aren't confused and might not know about it. Well, why don't you tell us about uh, your project and how the audiobook plays different from audiobook readings instead of, uh, you know, because some people get that confused. I think it's just going to be a, a book on tape, but yours is something way different. Yeah, uh, the book is called Reign of the Ghosts. It's the first novel I wrote uh, in a nine-book series. Um, the second novel is also out. It's called Spirits of Ash and Foam, uh, and I'm working on the third novel now. But uh, for this audio play, which is really what it is, it's not just a standard audio book um, recording, which, you know, is typically one guy, you know, doing the narration, doing all the voices, no music, no sound effects, uh, you know, whoever the narrator is has to do every voice, male and female, you know, old and young, living and dead, you know, every single character and find a voice for all those characters. And, you know, you get some really talented people who do these audio books, and often they're really great. Um, but generally, you know, you always hit that awkward moment where the 50-year-old guy who's narrating the book has to do the, you know, the young, hot girl or something like that, you know, and right, it's just right. painful. And so when I set out to do this, I was like, I, I, can't, I can't do that, in particular for my book, Reign of the Ghost. The narrator is first-person narration. He's an adult male. He's a minor character in the book, or not minor, but supporting. Um, but my lead, Rain Kasik, is a 13-year-old girl. Um, and I just couldn't see listening to some guy like me <laughs> doing most of the dialogue for this 13-year-old girl. I couldn't stand it. Um, and so I went back to what I know. And for me, that's you know mostly animated series, um, and so what we did here is we got a tremendous cast of 20 actors, um, and they're, every single one of them great. They include Maria Sirtis and Brent Spiner, who did Gargoyles with me, and Young Justice, and uh, obviously did Star Trek The Next Generation. Ed Asner, um, Tom Adcox, and Jeff Bennett, who all did Gargoyles with me. Um, 
the spectacular Spider-Man himself, Josh Keaton um, from Star Wars Rebels. We've got Steve Bloom and uh, Vanessa Marshall from Young Justice. We have both of them plus uh, Brighton James who played Static and Eric Lopez who played Blue Beetle. Um, and we've got an incredibly talented newcomer, Brittany Womoleale, to play Rain herself. And that, to me, will give you the full experience of this story. Plus, we've got a full musical score composed by Dynamic Music Partners. These are the three composers who did Batman, The Brave and the Bold. They worked on Batman the Animated Series. They did um, Young Justice, Spectacular Spider-Man, Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, um, and a lot more. These are incredibly talented composers, and they're composing over three hours of music for this. Plus, we're going to have sound effects. It's really a studio-quality production. Basically, think of it as a four-hour animated movie with everything except the animation. <laughs> yeah. That, that's awesome. I, I've listened, you know, I listen to a lot of, a lot of audiobooks and my daughter, she's only six and she just, she falls asleep every night listening to audiobooks. And we've got a few that are like this, you know, full scale dramatizations. And, um, you know, the one that springs to mind is the old NPR Star Wars dramatization that was done way back in the day. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, they're, they're great to listen to. You know, I'm a big fan of the old time radio shows and everything. And, you know, we just don't have something like that really nowadays that harkens back to that you know, that theater of the mind. And it's just, you know, I, I get what you're saying. Sometimes you listen to these books and it's, it's the old man voice trying to do all the other voices and it just doesn't work. Well, you know, it, it all depends. You, you know, you get a guy doing Charles Dickens, you know, some great British actor doing Charles Dickens, and it works about for 90% of the voices. You get a great British actress doing Jane Austen, and it works for about 90% of the voices. But there's always going to be that 10% that they just can't quite manage. Now, in right. in Great Britain, you know, they're doing this for Doctor Who and all sorts of things, and it's, it's an ongoing thing. But here in the States, we got nothing really like that. I mean, there are a bunch of great NPR things uh, that I use to, to figure out how to do this, in particular a couple of Harris Eulin directed uh, Ross McDonald novels, uh, mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty being one of them. Uh, and uh, and that was great, but uh, you're right, all of that stuff was, you know, what, 20 years ago? Exactly. Um, or longer, you know? And, we're, and, and there's nothing like this on Kickstarter. We went, when we first checked out Kickstarter and said, well, let's see, you know, what our comparables are. There was nothing comparable to it, um, nothing. Um, and that's not a criticism. It's just, hey, you know, we wanted to do something special. We wanted to do something unique. We wanted to do something that would really bring this story to life uh, fully and not just be, you know, a guy droning on trying to do all those characters. And, and we feel we've accomplished that. We've recorded all the voice work already. Yeah. It's done. That's it's good. even paid for. Uh, I paid for that myself. Um, but the cost of post-production, which includes the music and the sound effects and the editing and the mixing and all these technical aspects, that I couldn't afford. So that's what the Kickstarter's for, so that, you know, the voice work's all done. There's no risk involved in this project. We either get the money, in which case we can do it, or we don't, in which case we won't, unfortunately. But uh, there's no question of us being able to do it. Um, 
as long as we can afford to do it. So it, it it's a pretty cool project, and I just you know I'm crossing my fingers that the Kickstarter works and we're able to to do it. So how has the Kickstarter campaign been going so far? I noticed you were tweeting and you were talking about the amount of sleep that you've gotten since starting it. How has the experience been for you? Well, I'll be honest. This, it doesn't come naturally to me um, on any level <laughs> uh, at all. You know, I mean, A, you know, we're not all brought up. We're not brought up. Most of us are not brought up to uh, beg for money which is in essence right. kind of what I'm doing here now. We've got some great rewards on the site, so people are getting something for what they're offering. But still, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's not a comfortable feeling for me, that's A. And B, it's way more work than, than I knew it was going to be. Um, you know, getting it up and running was a lot of work, and I, and I didn't realize how much that would be, even though I've got a lot of great help. Um, and B, uh, I kind of had it in my head that once it was up and running, that would there wouldn't be anything for me to do. Yeah, by my nails, run, worry it would just it. run it would, itself. Right, and and boy, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's sort of you've got to constantly, you know. I, I do, you know. Normally, I, I do the social media thing to the extent that I, you know, tweet once a day and answer some questions and stuff like this, but you've got to be sort of on top of this and tweeting nonstop, and you've got to be doing all sorts of stuff. And and uh, and none of it's, you know, horrible, but the extent of it is much larger than anything I've ever encountered before. And so I'm exhausted, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I'll bet. But, you know, it, you know, this is the thing. I know how to make this thing. That's the easy part. Um, yeah. Paying for it—that's the tough part. And the Kickstarter is a lot harder for me than I than I realized it was going to be. I have a lot of admiration for the people who've done this, you know, multiple times. I can't fathom it, but uh, um, you know, I'm getting there. I'm 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 a slow learner, but I'm getting there. Yeah, I gotta imagine. You know, you you have experience pitching ideas. You know, whether it's for a novel or for a comic book or for it's an animated series. You have experience pitching the idea to, you know, a corporation or an executive who has the power and the position to buy it. And I've never done either of these things. I've never pitched an idea like that, and I've never run a Kickstarter. But i got to imagine running a Kickstarter is like pitching nonstop for 29 days or however long you're running. Uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> 30 days in, from uh, March 30th to April 29th. Um, and uh, you are pitching nonstop, and you've got to, you know, you do updates, and you've got to figure out rewards, and there, there's all sorts of stuff. And like I said, I've got help. I could never have done this alone. Uh, I've got a great team helping me out, uh, teaching me or trying to. Uh, but I'm a low-tech guy, and none of this comes naturally to me, but I'm trying my best to, you know, catch yeah. up and keep up. Um, uh, but, and, you know, it's... It, uh, it's rewarding. I don't just mean financially. I mean, it, it is rewarding to see the support that, you know, fans of Gargoyles, Young Justice, uh, Reign of the Ghost, the books, you know, um, Spectacular Spider-Man, et cetera. You know, they, they, when they pledge money, I know that, you know, it's, that isn't something that, you know, anyone does lightly, that they're just tossing their money around. No one wants to do that. And so I know that that's got some meaning to them. And, 
and I appreciate that. Yeah, you mentioned uh, one of the things you say in the it's actually in the Kickstarter video, um, and I can totally understand where you're coming from. Is that you you're, you're getting tired of working on projects where you ultimately don't control them, and you don't control um, where they go or when they end. You know, things like like Young Justice or Gargoyles. You know, they have these huge um, fan bases now and keep bugging you to, you know, when is it going to come back or when are we going to see it again? And those are things that you don't have control over. Um, so is this, and I know that the, the series of novels that you're writing now is, is something that you do have control over. So is, is this Kickstarter and this project and bringing the books to the audio, audio um, format, is that sort of vindication for the stories that you've had to let go? Well, you know, they're very much separate beasts, just like you said. I mean, you know, when I sign on to do Gargoyles or Young Justice or uh, Spectacular Spider-Man or whatever, I, it's not like I've got blinders on. I know that I don't own the material. I know that no matter how hard I work on it, it's the property of this company or that company. And I'm not, you know, new to the business either. I've been doing this for quite some time. So I don't have any illusions about that. But there isn't any doubt that, you know, when we do two seasons of Spectacular Spider-Man or a couple seasons of Young Justice uh, and don't get to keep going on it, even though we've got so many more stories to tell, it's very frustrating for the fans, and it is beyond a doubt frustrating for me. Um, but I own Reign of the Ghosts, the property, the book, this audio play, the second book, Spirits of Ash and Foam, the third book that I'm working on, Mask of Bones, um, you know, it, it is a property I own. Now, money still enters into the equation. I wish it didn't, you know. I, I've got to earn a living. I've got a kid in college and another kid who's going to start college in the fall. So and I've got a mortgage and all sorts of stuff. So I can't work for free, um, and I can't uh, do it simply out of love. But at least if and when I'm ready to pull the trigger on some project or other associated with rain, that is up to me. No one else owns it, I do. And I, so I don't think of it as vindication for the others, but it is refreshing to know that no one can tell me no. Yeah, it know? must feel good. Um, that must feel good. It, it's, you know, it's a relief, frankly. Um, and. You know, but it's still dependent on the support of fans. You know, if no fan tunes in to watch Young Justice, then we wouldn't have gotten the second season even, you know. And if yeah. no one sort of shows up to buy the Reign of the Ghost books or to help us out on the Kickstarter for this audio play, you know, yeah, I own it. I control it. But, you know, it, it's it's tough to to find the wherewithal to do more if if no one's on board. Um, out there, so to speak. Um, you know, you have to have enough confidence to do the first thing yourself and cross your fingers. But after that, you know, you need help. And that means readers and that means listeners. And in the case of this Kickstarter, obviously, it means uh, uh, pledgers. Right. So the um, those stories that, you know, for one reason or another that were unfortunately cut short, um, I'm sure you had storylines planned out for it to keep going, but do you finish those stories just like as a, as a personal, you know, practice? Do you finish those stories in your head, or do you just do you just have to let them go? Uh, you know, we have lots of plans. Um, take Young Justice, for example. We had lots of plans beyond the two seasons that we got to do. 
um, Brandon Vietti and I, who are the two producers on it. Um, and we haven't given up on coming back to it someday. If what you're asking is, have I written all these scripts that we never produced, then no, the answer is no. But, no, um, but do you do you have but, like a right? We, like we've got a basic idea of where we go ne next, both short term and long term. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know, tying into the Kickstarter, obviously, is the book Reign of the Ghosts. Um, talk talk to me a little bit about the history of the book. I know that the story began while you were at DreamWorks, I believe, and you tried to make it into an animated show for Nickelodeon. Um, so how did it grow into a series of books? And um, you know, after the audio play, where else do you hope to take it? Or are you just focused on the on the novels right now? Well, uh, you're right. We uh, This is something I developed at DreamWorks. It was one of the first things I developed after Gargoyles. Um, so it's got that same feeling of mythology and, um, and I think, rich detail of both character and plotting. Um, we pitched it to Nickelodeon as, animated, as an animated series. They bought it. Um, but then for all sorts of reasons, most of them business, not really related to the creative at all. Um, they never ended up making them. And so I went to uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who I worked with at Disney for seven years and at DreamWorks for three. And I figured that at 10 years of service, I probably could ask for one favor. <laughs> and I asked to, to, in essence, buy these books back. Uh, or they weren't books, but buy the idea back. Um, and I told him why. So that I, I really into the world of rain, um, these uh, Caribbean islands called the Ghost Keys where she lives and works. I'm into these characters and I'd like to try and write a novel. Um, and then I did. <laughs> he said yes, sold it back to me for a dollar, which is incredibly generous. And, and, uh, <laughs> um, and I uh, uh, got to take my creation and run with it. And I wrote a book. This is about 15 years ago. I wrote a book. I sent it out to all sorts of publishers. It did not sell. Um, I then started a rewrite of the book and got kind of intimidated. Um, and I said, well, let me put it aside for a couple weeks and think about it a little bit before I start up again. So 10 years later, <laughs> um, when Young Justice ended, I thought, I really need to finish this. Just for myself, I didn't even think it would sell because, you know, I tried to sell it before, and I thought the rewrite was, would make it better, but I didn't think it would make a big difference. So I, it took me three weeks to finish that rewrite. Wow. Uh, it was ridiculous. I mean, you know, I'd been so intimidated by it that I had procrastinated for literally a decade. Um, and then finally I sat down and did it, and I had to start completely from scratch because it had been so long since I'd worked on it. And rewriting the entire thing took three weeks. And I sent it out, and St. Martin's Press bought it. And they bought wow. the second book in the series, which is terrific. Um, now, let's be honest. I think the main thing that changed is that the whole young adult market changed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In a run because of Harry Potter. I don't think the book is that different from the previous draft. But the whole world had changed in the meantime. So it worked out. Um, right now, I'm really focused on the radio play. Um, more even than the third book. I'm sort of puttering on the third book because I've got so much energy sort of focused on the radio play. 
but I absolutely want to do the third book, and frankly, I absolutely want to do the second book as a radio play as well. I do have the script for that one ready. Should we get, you know, yeah, first one going as well? Sure. So, um, it, uh, sorry, continue. No. <laughs> Uh, I was going to ask: Is the third uh, was the, is the third book already been bought, or are you just writing it right now? I haven't written it. I'm researching it right now. Working okay. on it, researching it. Um, it has not been ordered by St. Martin's Press, but we're hoping that all this, uh, you know, that the audio book brings enough attention <clears throat> to the property as a whole that um, they. Uh, uh, decide. Yeah, we can't pass this up. Yeah. Well, it, it's a it's a fantastic story, and I mean, like you were saying, you know, the the YA, the young adult market, has just exploded in recent years, and especially for books that form series. Seems like publishers just can't get enough of it. Um, and I mean, your book has a has a very unique twist. It's got a very a very very um, what's the word, a very, a very unique voice, which is the same voice that has made you so popular in shows like Young Justice and, and Rebels. Um, and it's got a very uh, diverse cast, which I think is a very rare thing to see in books nowadays. Um, and so well, it's that's, that. that's a priority for me, diversity. Um, it has been going back as far as gargoyles, not further. And, uh, you know, it's something I actively try to, to do, which is to create characters and worlds that reflect the world I see as opposed to the world that the media often shows us. Um, and, you know, in particular, if you're talking about, you know, the setting of these books is the Caribbean, and the Caribbean, you know, is full of people of color, full of, you know, Caucasians as well, but also, you know, uh, Hispanics and Asians and African Americans and and everything and so I want both you know all these books to reflect what's real in the Caribbean and in particular these books are laced with the mythology of the Taino people who were the indigenous you know inhabitants of the Caribbean before Columbus arrived um, and that mythology is a fantastic mythology um, as rich and wonderful as Greek mythology or Norse mythology, and yet the world at large barely knows it, if they know it at all. Um, and it, that was one of the appeals of the setting for me, was that here was this tremendous mythology that people are unfamiliar with, from a, at least from a pop culture standpoint. I'm sure there are a lot of scholars who know a lot about it, but um, from a pop culture standpoint, it's you know kind of virgin turf. And that was very exciting to me and, and uh, encouraged me to explore this world more. Um, and so, of course, Rain is a uh, descendant of the Taino uh, people. Uh, her best friend, Charlie, is African-American. Her other friend, Miranda, is Hispanic. Um, and that just was natural to the book um, and now to the radio play. Uh, and it's fun, you know, and we've yeah. got Caucasians in there too. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a 51 year old heterosexual white male. I'm about as undiverse as you get. <laughs> um, but uh, so, you know, and I'm not 
in any way, you know, knocking myself, but you know, the world is, there's more to it out there. So we want to, so we want to show that in these stories. Do you have a uh, a connection to the Caribbean that led you to the, the setting the book there, or what was the reasoning behind that? <laughs> I really don't. I mean, yeah. I, I I do now, but I didn't when I started. Um, I started actually developing a, a different series that was set in New Orleans, and there's this uh, obvious Caribbean influence in New Orleans. Uh, and as I began to research um, the New Orleans story, the stuff going on in the Caribbean was just tremendously interesting to me. And um, so I, I'd never been there. I just, you know, did a lot of research. I had some help with that, too, at DreamWorks way back when. And, and um, it just fell in love with this sort of milieu. And then, yeah. um, you know, in between the two books, in between writing the first one over 10 years ago and writing the second one, I have since been to the Caribbean. And I, you know, uh, explored and, and learned as much as I could and absorbed as much as I could about the culture and the, and the tourist industry, which is a major element of the books, um, and the mythology and the architecture and everything I could. Um, while I was there, but you know, you're talking about a two-week vacation. You're not talking about not even yeah. three. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't spent a ton of time there. You know, I'm a Los Angeles boy. We don't tend to go to the Caribbean for vacation, <laughs> more of an East Coast thing. But um, but you know, I did love what I saw when I was there. Yeah, and creating your own chain of islands, I'm sure, is making it a little bit easier because you you have a little bit more freedom in in how you can describe things or explain things. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. Even the map is fun for me, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we've got a map in the book, and that's one of the rewards for the audio play. And, um, and you know, creating all that is a great kick, you know. It's fun to be able to literally almost build this world from scratch um, and try to make it authentic, feel as real as possible. Um, even among all the ghosts and vampires and mermaids that are part of this book, although they're not like any ghosts, vampires, yeah. and mermaids that you've seen before, um, uh, but uh, or part of the series, I should say, um, because they're based off of Taino legend as opposed to Western culture legend. Sure. Um, even that feels odd to say because, you know, obviously the Caribbean is west of Europe, but when we think of Western culture we're really talking about European uh, right. culture and and, uh, and this is something that isn't included in that so you've got new versions of of things that uh, I think are really different and really fun and really cool and scary and all sorts of things so we can't we can't really have you on the show without uh, we're both huge Star Wars fans without touching on that a little bit um, I was sure. just wondering um, I, I noticed uh, in doing my research that you're you were a big fan of Star Wars before you got involved with Rebels and whatnot. So, as a fan yourself, what was it like to get to work on that project? Uh, well, it was so exciting and kind of a blessing. You know, I mean, uh, I, I've been a fan of Star Wars since I was 13 years old when the very first movie came out. Back before we thought of it as Chapter Four, A New Hope, it was or Episode <laughs> Four. You know, it was, it just, was just Star Wars. Wars. Um, and, uh, you know, and I loved Empire Strikes Back, and, and I've seen all the other uh, 
films, and I, uh, you know, I'm just a huge fan. So it was so much fun, and in particular on Rebels, which is set in that uh, sort of Episode Four era, um, that it's it was just tremendously cool. And and now you're uh, currently writing the the Kanan uh, comic series for Marvel. Um, are you finding that you're enjoying the comic process more than television, or is it different? How do, how has it been working for you? In a lot of ways, it's very similar. You're collaborating with great people. In the case of the comic, um, we've got my editor, Jordan White, um, uh, incredible artist in Pepe Larraz, um, and a colorist, David Curiel. And um, just like on, in animation, you know, you're collaborating with people, in fact, a lot more people. Um, I'm collaborating, so I'm writing scripts and turning them in and then watching these amazing artists go to town on them. <laughs> right. They've really done that. I mean, he, the, the work is so gorgeous, I could have written a shopping list and it would have looked great. Uh, <laughs> Kanan goes and buys some melons. You know, it still would have looked good. And people would have um, bought it, too. That's the beautiful yeah, thing. I know. I mean, I like to think the story's a little better than just the shopping <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can't, I'm blown away by the art. I, I am blown away by it. And uh, um, and it's so much fun to be able to tell the story because when I first started on Rebels, one of the first things I said we needed to do was that we had to figure out the backstories for these five leads. Um, I, you know, we have to be able to tell the actors, we have to be able to tell Freddie Prinze Jr., you know, who Kanan was, who he, you know, not just who he is, but who he was, because that would inform his performance. We had to be able to talk with the writers about who these characters were, because that would inform what they wrote. Um, and so we came up with these backstories, but with the exception of Ezra, who's really our focus character in season one of Rebels, we didn't have a lot of hope of having the screen time to tell these stories and they were great stories so it's it's you know fantastic to be able to have the opportunity here to uh, tell this incredibly significant story from Canaan's history um, and I'm you know just thrilled to feel privileged to have the opportunity to do it love to do the same thing for Hera Zeb Sabine um, that'd be a kick are you working together with uh, you know, Dave Filoni and the rest of the team over at Rebels when you're writing the comic script or to make sure that the stories don't contradict or that they mesh with each other, or are you really yeah, doing two, much, two uh, separate things? I mean, I, I'm working directly uh, with my editor, but we all are talking with the Lucasfilm story group. Before I started writing a word on Kanan, we had a long, like, hour-long phone call about, you know, what they were looking to do, what my goals would be for it. We worked out the whole basic story. Little things have changed since then, minor stuff. Like, ooh, don't say that about it because we've done something in season two that would contradict that. But but for the most part, you know, what we discussed in that original phone call, that's the series that we're doing. And it helps to have, you know, the Lucasfilm story group around. You know, I can sit there and go, all right, so we're flying this kind of ship and give the sort of basic parameters of what I need the ship to do. And then, you know, someone from Lucasfilm, either Pablo Hidalgo or 
or Leland, they'll, you know, they'll send an email saying, well, then use this. And I'm like, great. I don't have to figure that out. They just <laughs> send the reference and we're good, you know, <laughs> um, because, you know, my brain doesn't work that way. I don't have that, all that uh, encyclopedic knowledge at my fingertips. Uh, about what would be the best ship or the best kind of blaster to be using and that kind of thing, or what markings the clone troopers would have on their armor. But yeah. we're all working together to try and create this consistent Star Wars universe from this point on. So uh, that's been tremendously helpful. But are you hoping this is going to uh, establish a long-term relationship with Marvel for anything in the future? I'm going to guess you may uh, but... <laughs> I, I, you know, that'd be great. I'd love to do more stuff with Marvel, um, but that's really up to them. <laughs> so we'll yeah. um, I'd like to just jump over to Gargoyles for a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so Gargoyles um, was a really a pretty radical departure for the Disney afternoon when it came on. It was wholly original, and it wasn't based on anything that was already out there. There was no existing characters or anything like that. Um, what do you think, if you had, I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot, you've talked about this ad nauseum probably, but what do you think it was about that story and those characters that really allowed Disney to make that leap of faith? Um, you know, we were looking to diversify the Disney afternoon back in the day. Uh, my boss, Gary Kreisel, felt strongly. We loved the shows we were doing, everything from gummy bears to DuckTales to Rescue Rangers to Darkwing to Goof Troop, all those shows. But there was some concern that if all our network, and it wasn't a real network, but the Disney afternoon was this two-hour block that we had to sort of right. think of it, the network that we were programming for at least two hours a day. Um, and there was some sense that if everything was funny animals, that at some point popularity would start to drift and people would start to feel, even if each new show was fantastic, would start to feel a bit like, oh, I've kind of seen a show with ducks. I've kind of seen a show with the, this kind of thing. So we need to spice it up with something different, whether that's Aladdin or whether that's um, Schnookums and Meat or whether it's gargoyles. And so we um, were looking to do something different at Disney. Uh, and when gargoyles finally got the nod, it was just, you know, a lot of fun to try pushing the envelope. And, you know, the fact that Batman the Animated Series was out there and popular and doing well, that didn't hurt, you know. Yeah, I'm sure okay. that was a so big An help. action show can, can do well. Uh, we weren't trying to rip Batman off in any way, shape, or form, but but the fact that they were there and successful, you know, yeah. gave Disney some element of confidence. And A, a um, darker show for children could work. Yeah, and we weren't even that dark. Um, right. You know, I, I definitely think Batman was a darker show than us, both visually and in every other way. I, you know, we were a show with deep, rich color palette, purples and blues and magentas. It was a show set at night. If you compare the sort of black of Gotham's background right. to the, the backgrounds of, of our Manhattan and Gargoyles, you know, our, and this is, again, not a criticism, it's two stylistic, different stylistic choices, but ours was considerably less dark. Just objectively, it was less dark. Yeah. I think a lot of fans my age look back at that time period, you know, that Disney afternoon with a lot of fondness and nostalgia. 
um, whether rightly or wrongly. Um, but do you think we'll ever see something like that again? Or is it, you know, with, with the changing, the changing uh, everything around TV and cable networks, do you think that's just something that we'll probably never see again? Well, I, I guess it sort of depends what you mean by that. You know, I mean, it, it, there's Disney XD, there's um, Disney Channel, there's Nick, there's uh, Cartoon Network. They've all got blocks of one kind or another. In fact, to some extent, one could argue it's the same thing, only larger um, in scale. Um, so, you know, I don't think in the current market you're going to see the syndication um, of shows the way the Disney Afternoon was syndicated again, but um, certainly, you know, there's a lot of space left with it in cable for cartoons. I don't see that going away. Yeah. Um, I read an interview with you that where you said that um, the success of a toy line was the single most significant reason why an animated show lives or dies. Um, is that true of all shows or or just animated shows, or is it just shows that aren't based on existing properties like Star Wars or that people will just flock to no matter what? Well, um, in, in animation, particularly animation that's labeled boys' action, um, you know, the budget has to come from somewhere, and so generally speaking, it tends to come in essence, not directly, but indirectly from the toy company. Um, so even a show like Rebels, um, which has the backing of Lucasfilm and Disney and all that, still needs, you know, to make sure it's creating something that will create successful toys. Um, now, it's Star Wars, so it's not actually having a problem on that front at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, if we did a Star Wars show that was about, you know, characters sitting in a room and talking for 22 minutes yeah. and no gadgets and no ships and, and no action, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to get a lot of toy sales out of that. Um, no one at all wants to do that kind of show anywhere ever. But so I'm taking an extreme example, but For I'm sure, sure. Point. And so a show like Young Justice was just as, no pun intended, just as toy dependent <laughs> as uh, as any of these things. And and the the toy line didn't succeed. You could come up with all sorts of reasons why, try and assess blame and all that sort of stuff. But all that to me is a little bit pointless the end of the day, it doesn't change the, the main fact, which is the toy line sales. Um, and the why is whatever. Yeah, there are all sorts of reasons, I suppose. But the, but at the end of the day, the toy line failed. And when the toy line failed, then, you know, you've got um, no money coming in to pay the budget for the show. Um, and so, you know, uh, there are other factors I'm sure involved in, in the fact that we weren't picked up for a third season, but that is by far the biggest factor, without a doubt. It's eye-opening to me. Well, I mean, why, why isn't the same thing true for non-animated shows, or is it? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that uh, if you take a show like uh, Sleepy Hollow, for example, mm -hmm. um, the ratings on that show are so much huger, so much, the numbers they're bringing to, to 
to watch that show are so much larger than what Young Justice did. Um, that they are selling commercial time, and it's worth the bucks on that basis. Um, now, Young Justice also sold some commercial time, but the numbers it brought weren't nearly as impressive. And we weren't doing badly relative to kids' shows. We weren't a super hit or anything like that. We weren't a home run, but we were a solid right. single. Every once in a while, a double, right. you know. Um, but those numbers are relative. Kids' numbers are relative to each other. They're, and they're nothing compared to the kind of numbers you get on something like uh, a primetime live-action show. You just don't. I wish hmm. it weren't true. I'm not, like, saying, oh, goody, we don't get as high numbers. But the facts are the facts. Again, you know, I, I do think that fans who, for example, and I'm, this is not me criticizing the fans. It's me just trying to sort of open their eyes a little bit. But you get fans of Young Justice who talk to other fans of Young Justice who talk to other fans of Young Justice. So they get this idea in their head that there's millions of them out there and, right. and all of whom were supporting the show and they can't understand why it was canceled when it was so popular. But the Internet does strange things to people. Um, <laughs> it, it, it tends to reinforce beliefs already held. Um, occasionally opens your eyes to other aspects, but m more often than not, reinforces already held beliefs. You talk to like-minded people and you get it in your head that this was hugely popular, which it was relatively, mm -hmm. but not relative to something like, you know, Game of Thrones or, or uh, right. trying to think of another example, even, you know, uh, Walking Dead or something like that. Yeah, you know, Marvel's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or that kind of thing. The kind of numbers those shows bring in allow the commercials to more or less pay the budget for the show. Right, right. And that was not the case um, on something like Young Justice. God knows I wish it was, but it's not. But do you ever get tired of uh, fan requests to bring back shows that you don't have any control over? Or is it something that... Well, yeah, I mean, I get on Twitter probably three or four times a day, yeah. um, uh, you know, someone begging me to bring it back as if I could, if I, you know, and obviously if I could, I would, because, right. A, I love the show, and, and heck, if nothing else, that's what, you know, when that show went away, Young Justice, for example, I was unemployed for 14 months after that show went away. Uh, I don't like being unemployed. <laughs> you know? um, so, you know, it wasn't like Brandon and I were like, well, we've done two seasons. I think we've done enough. You know, we, no one wanted that show to continue more than Brandon and I did. Um, but, you know, we don't own it. We don't control it. One of the reasons, again, um, to self-servingly bring this full circle that I'm doing Reign of the Ghosts is because I get to say whether or not we do more. I get to make even the financial decision as to whether or not we do more. Um, am I going to take that risk or whatever? It's not up to someone else. Can you, uh, since you brought it back to Raina, it goes, can you tell us who some of the uh, uh, actors are going to be playing, which characters? Because it's, I'm yeah, kind of curious. Yeah, I've, I've tweeted some of this already. So uh, Brittany Womaliali is playing Rain. Um, Brighton James, who played Static in Young Justice, is playing Charlie Dauphin, Rain's best friend. 
uh, Daniela Bobadilla is playing Miranda Guerrero. Um, Jacob Vargas is playing uh, Rain's grandfather, Bastian Bohik. Um, we've got Steve Bloom as Callahan. We've got Brent Spiner as Setabos. We've got Marina Sirtis as Hurricane Julia. Vanessa Marshall hmm. as Judith Bendeval. Um, Ed Asner as, as the ferryman, Joe Sharon, and, uh, and more. I mean, uh, again, 20 actors. Yeah. I don't have the list sitting in front of me, Sean. But uh, we've got 20 actors, 30 roles, actually. Uh, so uh, 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 10 of those actors are actually doing two roles, although usually they're doing one sort of significant role and then one that's got, you know, two or three lines or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that, that, that that's a little inspired, I think, to have Marina Sertis play the hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm who really else? looking forward. Who else? Yeah. Who else indeed? I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> All right. So uh it's been it's been fantastic. Jamie, is there anything else you wanna no. any questions you have? No, I I could sit here and do this all day, but I don't right. want to take any more of his time. <laughs> I think I think we covered almost everything. Um, I just wanted to mention in the video for the Kickstarter, I thought that was fantastic, and I actually am uh, logged on and gave some money to it after watching the video. And my sole reason was because I saw Brent Spiner telling me it would be a personal favor. So I, was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like, Data's telling me he's going to be happy, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> cool. So uh, if you want to check out uh, his, uh, Greg's Kickstarter, um, the short URL is reignoftheghost.com. That will bring you to the Kickstarter page. Uh, rain, just so it's clear, Rain is R-A-I-N, reignoftheghosts.com. That will take you straight to the Kickstarter we're going till April 29th, but obviously, you know, the more we can raise earlier, we can start talking about some stretch goals. We've got some pretty cool stretch goals if, if it looks like we're going to get beyond what we need here. We're almost but not quite halfway to our funding, original funding goal, so we'd love to bring that up. And, again, you can reach me on Twitter also if you've got questions. Um, I'm at Greg underscore Weissman. Um, don't forget that underscore because there are a bunch of Greg Weissmans on Twitter and <laughs> I'm the one with the underscore there between the two words. And um, <clears throat> if you've got big questions and you're patient, I'm about a year behind answering these questions, um, you can also go to my website, askgregweissman.com, um, where I answer questions about gargoyles, Young Justice, Rain, all these things. Uh, but again, I, I've, I'll admit I've fallen a bit behind. I, trying to answer questions regularly, but I'm about a year behind. <laughs> but if you if you go to that AskGregWeissman.com, make sure you read the archives because you've already answered a ton of questions. And if you have a question for, for Greg, chances are he's probably already answered it. So you don't need to That's add to true. his backlog. <laughs> very true. I've, I've been doing it for something like 18, 19 years. So there is a huge archive and it's organized by topics, so if you have questions about Young Justice or even specific questions about Demona, there are search functions and all sorts of things. You know, the odds are I have already answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> Great, Greg. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, we hope we can get this fully funded for you. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the help. I really do. Good luck with everything. It's a great project, and, you know, I've already backed it, and I'm going to be pushing it as hard as I can. So I hope, I hope you get there, and I hope you get there soon.
Yeah, thank you, Jamie, and, and Justin, you too. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much for your time. That's it for our episode this week. Once again, I'm Justin Connors. You can find me on Twitter at 140 Justin C. almost forgot my Twitter handle. And um, my blog that I write at is lifein140.com. And Jamie? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Roarbots, T-H-E-R-O-A-R-B-O-T-S, uh, at theroarbots.com or at geekdad.com. And you can find the show at on Twitter at um, the GBB Podcast and on Facebook at GBB Show. Um, and definitely hit us up on our social media if you have any ideas for shows. Uh, we are we are more than willing to hear them out, and uh, we're going to try to book guests. So let us know if there's a guest you want to hear about. Uh, we talk to pre- mostly people in the Disney realm, but it could be anybody. So send that in to us. Uh, I think that's it for this week. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, that's it. I could talk gargoyles for another hour if you want to, but I think I think we're talked out for tonight. All right. All right, guys, have a great week. We'll see you right here. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. Yes, I'm CC, but I still said it. Take care, guys. <laughs> see you later. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. The intro music on our show is provided by Key Theory. Go to kitheory.com 